Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel Little Conversation, where experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Dana Mackey, Research Director at Mintel, and today we're discussing streaming video. I'm joined by four Mintel analysts, all who have an expertise in media. Can each of you introduce yourselves to our listeners? Hi, I'm Buddy Lowe. I'm Senior Technology and Consumer Electronic Analyst here at Mintel. I've been writing research reports for Mintel for a little over three years now. Hi, I'm Rebecca McGrath. I'm uh, Mintel's Senior Media Analyst in the UK. And I've been writing about media for about five years now. Hi, I'm BJ Pitchman. I'm a research manager on the Comper Media Omni team, uh, and I spend uh, most of my days researching and analyzing the marketing efforts of streaming media companies. Hi, I'm John Polking. I'm a senior analyst covering the gaming and media space here in the U.S. I've been with Mintel for about five years, and I'm also just a huge movie and TV nerd. So we are tackling what an my opinion, is a very intense topic because we framed it up as streaming video wars. And what I really mean is this extreme competition that we're seeing in the streaming video space now. It's intensifying. It seems like every single day you read something in the news about a new entrant into this space. So in the U.S., we are approaching the launch of Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus really in the next, gosh, couple weeks as well as services from NBC and Warner Media in 2020 and more. I know I'm missing a lot of them here, but I want to, as we kind of frame this up as a streaming media war, I guess we, I've framed it up that way. I want to talk about um, winners and losers. So not everyone I, I can win in this space, obviously, because there's so many players in this uh, media landscape. So I want to hear from the experts here. Who do you think is really poised for a successful launch or will hold on to their market share in this launch period? I'll start off with saying that I think uh, Netflix has established themselves as kind of the king of the hill in this situation with all the other players really looking to knock out, knock down that king of the hill. Um, they They were first to market with a really comprehensive streaming platform. Um, and, and they've used that kind of uh, first-to-market uh, advantage to really become the, the default uh, streaming provi- video streaming provider in, in the world. You know, the, the, the term Netflix uh, is kind of the, a verb now um, that, that kind of encapsulates, you know, streaming and binge-watching. Um, so I'd put that as, right now, the, the leader in the space that's, that's really trying to fend off the competitors, uh, upstart competitors coming out soon. I think Disney Plus is definitely poised uh, to jump up to the number two squ- the number two spot very quickly. Um, they have a, a great competitive price point um, that comp and their content will con- uh, complement uh, Netflix's very well. It's going to be great for families, and they've already seen. Uh, as far as I can recall, this is the first streaming service to actually do a pre-sale. Um, some are speculating that that is actually because of uh, just the, the, the amount of new subscribers that they're actually they're, uh, predicting that they will sign up on November 12th. They're probably worried about uh, crippling their, their system. So they're actually spreading out the new signups now through a presale. So I, uh, I, I think most people, including Disney, expect a, a, a very successful launch. So BJ, because you brought up price, can you just tell us what the price points are on these different players as we're going through? So Netflix is at what now, like $14? If you get the yeah the, the, yeah up to fifteen, I think for the for the four K package um, and multiple stream. Um, but I, I you know Dis, uh, Disney Plus is launching at six ninety nine a month. 
Um, they are offering some pre-sale deals that we can talk about a little bit later. But uh, yeah, Hulu uh, six ninety nine as well, or is it five ninety nine? That's five ninety nine, I think. Five ninety nine. Thank you. Um, five ninety nine for the for the ad supported model, and then an extra six bucks a month um, for the uh, for the commercial free version. Um, honestly, I think Disney uh, Hulu probably has you know given the price point. Um, Hulu is, is probably has the most to fear um, based on Disney Plus's launch. Rebecca, since we're talking about launch timing, can you tell us a little bit what is happening in the UK in terms of when, do you know when you're getting these services? Are you getting these services? Are you going to have to come to our Chicago office or steal our Netflix passwords? Yeah, uh, yeah, we're still a bit in the dark here at the moment uh, about Disney+. Plus. Uh, we're going to get Apple at the same time as like 100 territories. But uh, yeah, Disney, uh, it's very unclear be, uh, because of uh, the licensing agreements they have with Sky, one of our major um, pay TV providers, which is ongoing. And so it's sort of expected to be sometime in 2020, but that's still not really clear. And obviously this... You know, it's, it's an interesting um, to see how Disney will cope with this because they got these massive new shows that they invested heavily in, and uh, you know, it's unlikely that you know the UK big fans are going to wait for you know this content to come out in uh, you know official capacity if Disney you know waits too long. What are some of these big name shows? What are the what are the content providers bringing to the table to excite the consumer to? choose their package potentially over something else? I think it's a combination of kind of existing IP. Uh, just looking at Disney Plus right now, you got The Mandalorian, which is the Star Wars spinoff. Uh, uh, and then there's also just kind of, uh, there's the Lady and the Tramp live action remake that they're using as a launch title. And they, but they're also kind of populating it with some other, you know, Disney branded type of content you know potential new franchise launchers who knows uh stuff uh like there's a uh christmas movie with bill Hader and anna kendrick that's also going to be coming out at launch so they're really trying i think to you know strengthen their brand with that existing ip that they know everyone's gonna know and love and they're also just kind of sweetening the pot a little bit with some of that more complementary content now it's interesting when looking at that compared to something like apple that's not licensing any content and they They've invested so heavily in, uh, you know, bringing voices from established creators like, you know, J.J. Abrams and producers like Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston. They, they're they really relying heavily on this kind of, um, you know, empowering these other voices that people already know to create new things. And I'm curious to see how that's going to, you know, play out when they launch November 1st around the world. I have some really strong opinions about live action Lady and the Tramp that I think we're going to have to leave. <laughs> you for literally stuck your tongue out when I said that. So I, 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 I don't think that's an exciting proposition to launch a new streaming service with. I really just don't, but I haven't seen the preview. So I'll just, I'll, I'll reserve my opinions for now. Um, but cute. when I think about content and building a content library, I think first of Netflix, because that's what I feel like that's what they've been doing for the last, I don't know, six months is really trying to build up their content to keep people in their service. Yeah. But is it quality? <laughs> Definitely yeah. quantity. I mean, they're pumping it out. Um, all sorts of reality shows and baking and racing. And they're really trying to, to, you know, the shotgun method with their content. 
They're also yeah. spending and a lot. A lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. I um I think it's interesting also to think about Netflix is also kind of under sort of a bit of fire for cancelling shows, sort of highly uh, regarded shows pretty quickly because they want to invest so heavily in the new content that they can get new subscribers in. Uh, but I think that's sort of a fairly short-term sort of uh, view given the importance of their own content library going forward. Now they're going to lose so much of their, their licensed content. You know, you can't be coming in and canceling shows before they sort of reach their organic conclusion. Uh, otherwise, you know, people, you know, they're not going to start them. Uh, new viewers aren't going to start those shows. Yeah, I, I would add on to that that they've, you know, they they do it from a business decision. You know, Sense8 was one that uh, was costing them like $7 million per episode that they had to cancel. And Sense8 had developed this nice kind of cult fanship around it, and it really caused a big uproar. Um, but the the fact is that they they can't afford to keep licensing out the the popular you know uh, non Netflix original content, and they have to make their own, and they need to find something that that is popular and that is sticking. But yeah, I agree that there there's a balance that needs to be made on you know creating profitable content, but at the same time you know not canceling shows abruptly so that you can actually reap the benefits of the content you create. I was just going to say, in doing that, you you know, they can have a model that's like short short season shows um, or short shows like where sort of the BBC here is famous for here. That um, you know, but that is still about having the story being told fully. Um, so it's about getting that balance of being on the right side of fans as well as the business model. We appreciate your brevity. I was going to disagree completely. I was going to say, do you know how angry oh. Americans get with those short-lived <laughs> the six office. seasons, I love six it. episodes, three seasons? It's like, give me a break. The, the oh. office. This Fleabag was stretched out for okay. five seasons. Yeah. Right. It wouldn't right. work. Okay, you win. True. It's a great counterpoint. And yeah, it's, I mean, but because there is so much content, I feel like there is kind of a desire to get some of the more shorter package content so you could feel accomplished in finishing it but you also feel like you can move on to the next thing because there always is going to be a next thing it just matters you know what that is and where you're going to be getting it so i mean it was kind of traditional for netflix when they first started launching originals like 13 episodes hour-long things and some shows still do that kind of model but you're also seeing them play a little bit more with shorter form content. Uh, you know, there's no kind of set, you know, standard for what, uh, you know, how long something needs to be in order for it to still be satisfying for the viewers that get it. So there's two names that we haven't heard yet. One is Amazon with their video service and also YouTube. Are they, are they in the same playing field as everybody else or they're somewhat separate? I would say Amazon is right in that playing field, but they have an advantage in that the Amazon Prime membership comes with so many other, um, you know, features or, and services. So it's not, um, they're on the same playing field, but they're also playing on other fields as well um, with that Amazon Prime package, which, which gives them an advantage, at least. Including the, in the theater world, you know, they've had some good inroads with their theatrical releases, but, you know, looking at uh, summer 2019 at the U.S. box office, they invested so much in some of these kind of high profile indie releases that sort of tanked at the U.S. box office. So I feel like they're going to be starting to pivot their strategy more to retaining and, you know, 
encouraging Prime members on their streaming platform because they haven't had as much success uh, with their theatrical model as they have in years past. Yeah, Amazon. I was like, go ahead. oh, go ahead, BJ. Uh, Amazon is a, it, they are um, marketing dollars uh, outspending all of the other streaming services, which is spending tens of millions of dollars on promoting these this original content. Which is, it's it's honestly it's very surprising because it's not a uh, I guess a it's not a paid service in, a, in for the actual the video service like very few um, people actually just pay to get the video service the streaming video it is seen as like a, a free benefit to people who are subscribing to a, their prime membership for shipping um, and you know for quick turnaround shipping um, so it, it's it's a pretty wild business model as far as the, you know, the the amount of money they're putting into it and people necessarily you know I don't know that if people would actually pay to have prime video alone if it was a standalone oh. service. And with that, they can take a, but with that kind of diversified portfolio, they can take some bigger swings when it comes to their content. And I mean, I, you kind of see Apple sort of trying to make their way in that space too. You know, they, it's kind of a drop in the bucket for them uh, when it comes to their global revenue stream. So they're able to, you know, be a little bit more adventurous. They're also able to kind of move their goalposts a little bit, you know, should they need to pivot their strategy. Because uh, it seems like that's kind of what Amazon did when it was, I think it's kind of shifting away from theatrical stuff. And I think, I wonder if Apple's going to kind of do something similar if they don't get the subscriber numbers that they want in their first year. Well, they have one of their original show, the, um, the documentary or the elephant show is actually going to be showing in theaters before, yeah. before it actually hits the streaming service. Uh, while we're talking about Amazon, I have to bring up uh, here something exciting that's happening this Christmas is that uh, they're going to show Premier League football games uh, or soccer games. Um, and, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, and that is... That is a big move here. It's only it's only a few games during one round, but that is we have had a duopoly or at times a monopoly of, of, of you know this is our some of our most premium content that uh, like our broadcasters really sort of base their model on, and if they Amazon does decide over here or elsewhere to get into sort of the live sport world, um, that could obviously shake up TV markets overall in general, not just streaming. Is it exclusively on uh, on Amazon Prime or is yeah, it? Yeah, th those games and really? it's the Boxing Day uh, Premier League games, which are uh, I sort of very um, traditional. Like the that's the big tradition is built around watching sort of those Boxing Day games, and they also the interesting thing they're doing is they're showing you can pick all the games, uh, you can pick all of them, and usually over here you can't watch every single game live um, or potentially pick to watch a game live out of the, all of the games going on. So that's pretty exciting. And I said, Amazon, if they want to enter into this sphere, it would, it would shake up the UK market quite a lot. As, uh, Amazon's actually uh, had Thursday night football, uh, the NFL American football, if you will, um, <laughs> for, uh, in years past. And uh, they haven't this year, they didn't continue that. I, you know, I believe it was you know, a little bit too much. And I think it was a little bit too early. Like not that many people were streaming live sports at that time a few years ago. Um, but back to BJ's premise about, you know, whether or not people would pay for, you know, Amazon Prime Video on its own. You know, I really think it, it does boil down to content. You know, do do they have the content that people are willing to pay for? Um, you know, having Premier League football is obviously a big draw. Um, having you know blockbuster movies, you know, 
those are the types of things. Having the content will bring the consumers over. But as of right now, Amazon can stand alone on its you know, uh, shipping services, its e-commerce features, uh, and then kind of offer that video streaming as a, as a freebie. So as all of these new um, players come into the market, I'm thinking specifically really of, of Apple and of Disney, is Netflix going to be able to survive this competition? Maybe not even survive, but are they going to lose market share? Or are people going to add services on top of Netflix because the price points are so low? I'll, I'll start off by saying with a little stat that we did a, a price sensitivity analysis. We asked consumers what, um, how much would they pay for their ideal streaming service that had everything they wanted, TV shows, movies, sports, you know, what was too expensive, what was a good deal, what was too cheap, and what was, you know, a, a bargain. And the optimal price point came out to be about $20 a month, which is not a lot. Um, but granted, we're, we're surveying the entire spectrum of consumers. So even those on the lowest end of household income levels. Um, so I think that there's definitely room for two to three streaming services for most households um, from a price point standpoint. Do we know how many streaming services people are, have now, currently? Most people have access to two or more, um, at least. Uh, the ones that only have access to one service are overwhelmingly Netflix subscribers, about uh three quarters of people who only stream to one service uh, use Netflix. So if those w consumers were to switch, that could be uh, pretty bad for Netflix's um, you know, uh, subscriber numbers. I would say our consumer research here shows that currently the m most people that are interested in getting another streaming service, one of these upcoming players, are thinking of getting it on top of what they already have. So they're not necessarily thinking about it as competition right now. But obviously with so many, there does become that sort of breaking point where people have to make choices about uh, what they're going to get. Um, and at that point, you know, then, you know, Netflix obviously is in, you know, more uh, in a tougher environment than they've ever been in before. Um, I, I do want to qualify my statement. So, you know, our data shows that uh, basically, 70% of consumers have two or more streaming services, but we, we asked it in the form of like, do you use it? Not necessarily, do you subscribe to it? So there's also the potential of people sharing passwords, um, getting passwords or accounts from other people and using that service. So they may not necessarily be subscribers, but they are using multiple streaming services as well. You know, one thing that doesn't get brought up a lot when we talk about, you know, streaming services and how many people have and how much they cost is comparatively... HBO is $15 a month. And that's pretty wild to think that people are still, um, well, pr probably a lot of sharing going on with that one, I imagine. But um, people are, they're paying for it because they've been conditioned to pay for it back from when, uh, you know, cable packages from cable companies, like it would be the premium channel. And it was just expected that that was going to be 12 to $15 a month to add that channel on. But now in the, you know, the age of streaming and you look at the, the number of shows on Netflix and Hulu, versus the number of shows on HBO, um, the price for HBO seems comparatively very high. Um, and, and that's going to be, a, I think, a real challenge uh, for them after losing, you know, Game of Thrones. Um, obviously, they're, they're kind of going gangbusters with their content now after the merger um, with, uh, with AT&T and Time Warner. But it, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if people will continue to pay that $15 a month for that one channel. Well, as someone who pays that $15 a month, BJ, first of all, I feel very shamed. <laughs> Second of all, you could check in with me and let me know. I, I mean, I have so many streaming services, I can't keep track of all of them. And I think that's part of the confusion in the market here is it's hard to track <clears throat> these monthly um, 
expenditures as you go along because you're adding things and there's the, you know, there's some preview discount and then the service price goes up. And I, I just, I'm really bad at keeping track of all of that. So BJ, you were mentioning that the pricing model for Disney, at least at launches, has been a little bit different with the deals that they're offering. Can you talk a little bit about the advantage they might have in that pricing model? Sure. Um, Disney is doing something really interesting and honestly, very smart. Um, before they actually launch a service, they're actually going to their most loyal fans. So the Disney club members, vacation club members, uh, people who have visited the parks, and they're sending them this pre-sale promotion and they're offering them um, a, a discount on a uh, two to three year prepaid uh, subscription. So you can, if you sign up for, I think the the, the deepest discount I saw was uh, for three years, you effectively got it for just under $4 a month. Um, that, that happened a couple months ago to a select group of people. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a really great method or a really great strategy because it's, uh, you're at that point, you're not competing with the other monthly services. So if somebody pays for a two-year upfront lump sum of Disney Plus for two years, they're not getting rid of Disney Plus. I mean, they paid for it. They're not even considering it as far as their monthly fee. Um, that money is long. It's spent. It's a sunk cost at that point. So, you know, they're looking at their $15 a month on Netflix and their $15 a month on HBO. Maybe they go a couple months. HBO doesn't have anything good on. They still got Disney Plus. Um, I think that was a really smart move on their uh, on their behalf is to kind of just they're not fighting on the monthly fight anymore. Um, and I think that we're probably going to see a lot of other people um, go that route. Um, it probably plays best with uh, the more um, loyal fans uh, of a service. So it's not, it's certainly not, you're not going to get everybody to cough up over a hundred dollars um, a year uh, for something, but certainly for the loyal fan bases, I think that they, they know they're going to have this. They know they're going to want to watch it for a couple of years. Um, and it's just a great strategy. Plus, they've got that lady in the tramp thing going for them. So <laughs> Who knows what? Yeah, in three years from now, we could have a, a live action. Uh, oh boy, I don't know, Star Wars Christmas special. Oh, I was going to say fi Finding Nemo. <laughs> 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 so we've been talking mostly about the launches that are happening at the end of 2019 here in the U.S., but we also have so many launches to look forward to in 2020. John, can you tell us a little bit about what's coming down the pipeline in terms of new services? Yeah, I mean, in early 2020, we're going to see HBO Max. So going off of, you know, BJ's points earlier about, you know, retaining that uh, loyal or so far loyal HBO audience by adding those extra offerings that it's going to add with the uh, whole Warner Media Library. And there's also NBC's Peacock that they just announced, which they still haven't really announced pricing or whether it's going to be ad supported or anything like any details like that. But I feel like some of those uh, broadcast offerings are going to be in a little bit more trouble when, uh, as the streaming wars start to intensify something like CBS all access, I think could be vulnerable or showtime or stars, I think are all things that, uh, are going to have to differentiate themselves in a different way than they have in the past. Yeah, or kinda, consolidate. Yeah, or consolidate for uh, sure. Yeah, it's kind of funny how everything started as one and uh, as within an aggregator and then everything blew up. Everybody took their ball and went home and then pretty soon they're all going to be crawling back to an aggregator again. <laughs> 
We got this great, uh, this great model that really helps the consumer where we can watch everything. And then, and then they decided, oh, no, we're not making enough money. But I did just want to add to that about because we just haven't mentioned it. The popularity of sort of these older shows, which you're talking about, so like Friends and The Office, which obviously like done so well on streaming services. And that obviously what part of the reason NBC and stuff wants to take them back. Um, but I think that does have to be acknowledged about uh you know what happens to that content are you potentially sort of like you know not devaluing friends but it is it actually to their benefit to take away friends from the mass market of netflix um because i agree that i think these these new players seem like they're gonna they're gonna be the ones to struggle the most I don't think we can look too far past 2020 right now because it's happening so rapidly. I think we would just be out of our depth to predict any further. So just to wrap it up here, I would love our experts to give us one prediction of something they think is going to happen maybe in the next 12 months. That could be a service that's going to do really well, one that's going to lose share, uh, new interesting content that's coming out. But paired with that, I would also love for our listeners, listeners, it's time to get out note paper and pencil because our experts will give you a recommendation of one TV series or movie that is streaming that you can watch that they enjoyed. Everyone's sitting and thinking really hard right now. <laughs> Let's just start. I'll start. I have, I have two predictions. Um, one, I think uh, I want to note that Apple plus Apple TV plus is offering a year uh, subscription with any purchase of Apple products. So that's going to be a big loss leader for them, but it's also going to get a lot of, subscriptions based off of their hardware sales. So I think within the year, Apple will actually have decent numbers and subscribers, and they'll actually surprise some people. Um, and then it's going to be up to the content to execute. My second prediction, and it may not happen in 2020, but I think Netflix, for its more popular content, is going to have to abandon the binge dropping mo model. <laughs> Um, that was my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, they uh, when you compare th their top content like um, Stranger Things versus the the conversation around serialized content like Game of Thrones, you know the conversation socially uh, um, really just drops off after they launch their content. Versus you know shows like Game of Thrones that have you know you know, episode every week, they kind of dominated the season uh, during its airtime. I think that's, that's a social currency that Netflix can't afford to miss out on. And for their popular content, at least, you know, for their brand new shows, they'll drop everything season one. I don't think that's a problem. Get people to binge watch it and love it. But season two, three, for their really popular content, they're going to have to maybe go two episodes at a time. Yeah, like I said, that that was I, I'm in definite agreement that the sort of their their model of all at once for all shows doesn't isn't going to hold up and doesn't really utilize those that when you create a really hyped up show doesn't utilize it it fully, so they're going to have to change their sort of release structure for for some of their shows. Yeah. There's also the risk of their subscribers churning the like a show through and then just canceling within the yeah. month. So that's something else that they need to worry about. And just for my my show my show to watch on that note then is uh, BoJack Horseman. I feel <laughs> underrated. Talk about I love stealing it. recommendations. That's what <laughs> I was going to say. Show. <laughs> it is my favorite show. Yes. Um, Sean, do you have a prediction since your recommendation already got stolen? Yeah. Since well, then I'll just double up on BoJack Horseman. I'll just make one of Buddy's watch it. No, uh, I think uh, I think. Uh, 
similar to buddies, but in a different kind of vein of, you know, kind of slowing things down and drawing things out a little bit more too. Uh, but I think from the content, uh, from investing in the content side, I think we're going to start to see kind of a slowdown in some of these huge overall deals that have been happening with content creators. Um, I'm thinking about how Netflix signed huge overall deals with like Shonda Rhimes and Ryan Murphy, Warner Media got J.J. Uh, Abrams, uh, uh, NBC signed, you know, these are like nine figure deals uh, for showrunners and creators because they're trying to invest in their the content and the future of these people as artists. But I think over the next year or so, we're going to start to see that. Uh, it, I don't necessarily think it's a bubble, but I think that those big deals in order to attract talent are going to start to disappear a little bit more. And I think we're going to see people investing more in up and coming artists that people might not necessarily know about and less on those kind of established names that they've already, you know, started to kind of dig their hooks into uh, these, these services have, I mean. So I think that's going to be something from the content side that we're going to start to see as these streaming wars start to intensify. And what should we watch other than BoJack Horseman? Oh, God, so much. Um, one. You get to pick one. Okay. Oh, Undone on Amazon. I loved that show. That was a weird ride. I'm all for it. Okay. And BJ, yeah. what about you? Um, so my prediction is... It, I think we're going to see um, some innovations and uh, some movement in the ad-supported streaming services. I think as things get, uh, you know, get heated up and become more expensive, um, you know, Hulu is uh, a good example of this for their lower price point on their ad-supported model. They're um, looking for creative ways to bring in um, marketing into uh, into the programming. So they're they've exper- they're um, they're experimenting with pause commercials. So when you pause it, there's like a a message on the screen. Um, they're also looking at um, ways to identify if somebody's binge watching a show. So maybe they could show them an episodic commercial throughout um, their binging experience, or um, they can also be cognizant not to repeat the same commercial over and over. Um, so I definitely think that there's some room uh, there for the ad-supported model because we're, you know, every it feels like we we're we're, we're kind of living in the future now, um, and the the commercial breaks feel like they've taken a step back. You know, um, there's so many times I can just see the same commercial over and over again, um, you know, every five minutes. And it's, it's pretty frustrating, especially with the you know, addressable TV, um, the, the technology we have now, we should, I think there's a lot of room for growth there. And I think we're going to see it coming up. Um, the show I have, uh, so I saw this a little while ago, but it, it's still sitting with me. It's the documentary on Netflix, uh, Abducted in Plain Sight. Oh yeah! And if you are ever in the mood to scream at your TV, um, I think this is a fantastic documentary to watch. And buddy, did we get a recommendation from you? No. Um, I guess the most recent thing I binge watched was Raising Dion on Netflix. That was uh, it's like a a child superhero series starring with brief appearances by Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> Well, but was thanks. it good? But was it good? That's the I thing. thought it was it was entertaining. <laughs> I, I'll give it a, I'll give it a, 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 a 7.2 on my scale. Oh, how high does your scale go up? <laughs> uh, 12. Okay. <laughs> and Dana, what's your recommendation? My recommendation to our listeners is to listen to or watch all of these shows that were recommended by our experts because I only watch garbage. 
and children's programming. So if you're into Chuggington, then come to me for your recommendations. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you find listeners that next year you have a million things to watch, but you're not able to binge watch any of them, you will know you heard it here first and you can blame our analyst Buddy Lowe for making that recommendation to all of our clients to stop <laughs> stop releasing their shows all. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast content. We'll be here next week with another episode of Little Conversation. Little Conversation.